are listening to Radio Free Brooklyn. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to What Would Kay Say? I am your host, Kay Edwards. Happy spring, everyone. Today is the first day of spring. Everyone should be quite happy, right? Because now the weather is going to start getting warmer, hopefully. And the sun is going to be shining more. We already had that experience with the daylight savings time last week. Did how many of you got messed up with that? I kind of fuddled through it, but I made it. But I also want to say congratulations to St. Peter's University. I know this March Madness stuff, I don't usually follow it. I don't follow it at all. But the TV happened to be on Friday night, 
And was it Friday was the first day I saw it? Friday or Thursday, one of those days. And I caught St. Peter's first game when they played Kentucky. And those, let me tell you, those young men, they were not messing around when they were on the court. And then to find out, because I didn't watch it last night, because of course I tell you I don't follow it, but I wanted them to win. My heart was with them and they won last night. I'm like so happy for them. Who would have thought St. Peter's University in Jersey would be going to the Sweet 16? They've never been there before. This is like unbelievable. I'm so happy for them. So congratulations to them. And I hope they can go all the way. I hope they make it all the way up to the top. So how are all my blessed and highly favored people doing? Make some noise this morning. How was your week? How did you make out? You know, how did everything go? Let's face it. Nothing's going back to fall until we until all this is over. So, but I do hear in legislation, they're trying to change it. They're trying to change the law for advancing the clocks an hour ahead in the spring. So let's see how far that gets. I trust that you all got what you wanted this week. Right? I know I did. Well, not exactly. But some of it I did. I've learned, and I know you probably all go through this as well. Oh, my headset is falling off. I can't even hear myself talking. I know you all go through this as well, that during your journey, you always have to make certain decisions. There's always going to be a time in your journey where you're going to have to make certain decisions. And God recently has been making it clearer and clearer to me about what I'm doing and where I'm going. And now the see the ironic part of that is he's making it clear to me, but I'm still saying I'm confused. Has any bit how have every has has that ever happened to any of you? You have your mind made up. You know the direction that God's taking you in any situation, not your not just concerning your purpose, but anything, anything that you might have asked him for, anything that you might have been praying about. You've gotten the answer, but even when you get the answer, you're still confused. (laughs) Well, that's where I've been this whole entire week. And can I tell you, the ride has been both scary and phenomenal. And it's more than I could even imagine. And it brings to me the the scripture, and I understand it clearer now for the words of the prophet Ezekiel. And this is from Ezekiel 3, 10 to 11. Moreover, he said to me, son of man, receive into your heart all my words that I speak to you and hear with your ears and go get to the captives, to the children of your people and speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, whether they hear or whether they refuse. So as I move through my journey, as I'm, and I'm sure as all of you are moving through this journey, it's becoming more defined. And I was telling my sister last week when I was talking to her, 
that God is making it very clear to me. He's giving, he's given, he's given me the puzzle pieces of my story and I have to piece them together to get to the entire picture. So I'm sure a lot of you are with the same, are in the same boat. You know how when you get a puzzle, it's like a thousand pieces is in a box and they're all over, they're turned upside down. Sometimes you don't even know what the colors is on the other side. But usually when you get the box, there's the picture on the front. So you have the picture on the front so you know what it should look like. But when you open the box, it's just pieces all over and you have to put them together to get that that picture back. Well, that's where I'm I'm at. So I want us to all put our pieces on the table. The table could be your your journal, whatever it is that you're, you know, however you keep track of what's going on. Make a list of what you know to be true which is very different from what you want to be true, right? What we want to be true is what's on our vision board. We made our vision board. That's what we want to be true. But what he gives us is what's true to our journey. And that's what's going to help us map it out. And you'll see before the end, that roadmap is going to lead to the entire picture of what your purpose is. Which leads me into today's topic. And today's topic is ready for the mission, a comparison of Ruth and Esther. So now, when God first put this on my heart to talk about the two of them, I was like, Ruth and Esther. To me, they were like so far apart. But when I actually read them, read their stories, the book of Ruth, the book of Esther, and I started seeing how there were so many similarities between the two of them. And we're going to talk about those today. Now, a little background story. Ruth, she was the daughter-in-law of Naomi. And she was the direct line to the line of Judah, Ruth. Esther, she used what she had naturally what God had given her naturally to save her people. And she took on a lot of personal risk. So now in order for these two women to get into the positions that they were in, somebody along the way had to fall off from the journey, right? And I say that because when they both started out, when they both started out their life, they had other people that were with them. But along the way, these people just were no longer a part of their life. And that's what changed their hope, that that pivoted their whole walk in the way that they then continued their life in order for God to use them. So Ruth's sister, Ruth's sister-in-law was with her and Naomi when they first started out, when they were first on their, when they lived in Moab. Both their husbands died, Naomi's sons, they both died. So Naomi was telling them to go back to their people. Ruth decided she wanted to stay with her mother-in-law. As with Esther, Esther couldn't have became the queen if Queen Vashi hadn't refused the command from the king to come into the court when he called for her. So all these, all those two people that fell off that was there doing whatever they were doing at the moment, opened the way for Ruth and Esther to do what it is that they had to do. So we're going to take a look at the points that you need to see. If you see this in your journey, that's going to let you know the mission that you're on 
and how you should be getting ready for it. We're going to first start out with number one. They both loved God. You have to love the Lord. That's the only way you're going to get through this mission. That's the only way he's even going to give you a mission is if you have given your whole heart to serving him. And both Ruth and Esther loved God. And we're going to start out with reading Ruth 1.16. And as usual, I'm reading from the New King James Version. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. That's what Ruth told her mother-in-law, Naomi, when Naomi was sending her and her sister-in-law back to their people because their husbands had died and Naomi was going to go back to her people. Ruth told Naomi she was going to stay with her. She was going to go with her where no matter where she went, no matter who her people were, no matter who the God she served, she was going to serve that God as well. Esther, and we find out Esther's under how Esther came into the whole picture of knowing and understanding and loving God in Esther 1, 5, and 7. In Shushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jar, the son of Shemi, the son of Kish, a Benjaminite. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. So now we know Esther comes from a Jewish line. Her uncle was a Benjaminite. So when her parents passed away and she became an orphan, he took her as being his own daughter and raised her. So being a Jew from the line of Benjamin, you know, Esther was well-versed in the ways of the Jewish people. There's no way she didn't understand what the laws were, what God expected, everything. She understood it. She loved the Lord. She followed the Lord the way Mordecai brought her up to know the, the Lord of Abraham. Both Ruth and Esther had no one else to rely on for their survival. Think about it. Ruth's husband had died. Naomi, her mother-in-law, was sending her back to her people. Where was Ruth going to go? She was already with Naomi and the husband for over 10 years when they lived in Moab. So now your husband dies and she's sending you back to your people. Your people are like, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be with your husband. She doesn't even probably know where they are. The way people lived back then, people moved all the time. She doesn't know the situation of where, of how things were, where she came from. So she had no one else to rely on for survival but Naomi. That's all she knew. Esther, being an orphan, as we mentioned from before, she only had her uncle Mordecai. If it wasn't for him, where would she have been? So what could she have done on her own as a little girl being left motherless and fatherless? So you have to know that you will have people that you will depend on or be attached to that's going to be crucial to your survival. They're going to help usher you into what it is that you need to do. Two, the mission will take you into uncharted places that you've never been. Your purpose 
is going to take you into arenas that you're not familiar with. And I know you've all often heard other pastors and preachers say this as well. Every time God is giving you a new assignment, whenever he's elevating you to your next level, it's always going to take you into places that you've never been before. And you're going to go through very different experiences than you have ever seen before. Think of it. Ruth had no idea what it meant to glean on a threshing floor. She had no idea what that meant when you go and you're gleaning wheat after the guys are cutting it down and they're getting it ready for um, for sale. But she knew she needed to do it in order to survive. Remember, everything that God has been preparing you with, you're going to use when you arrive in that place. So just as Esther, she didn't have a clue of how, what it meant to act like a queen when Vashti decided not to follow the king's command. And the king put out this this order that, okay, since Vashi doesn't want to be my queen anymore, I'm going to put out and send me all the most beautiful women in the area and that we're going to make them. It's almost like a pageant. It's almost like as if he was having a pageant to find his new queen. And Esther had no idea what it meant to even be in a royal palace, to even be around those people, because at that time, the Jews weren't up there living in palaces with the kings and queens and things of that nature. Three. Be willing to do what it takes for your people. Now, you have to understand, you have to find your tribe. You have to find out who your people are. You have to find out who it is that God has sent you to. And sometimes it's not as obvious. Sometimes you think it's obvious to you who he's sending you to, but sometimes it's not. Because Ruth and Esther, they were willing to do what they needed to do for their people. Ruth, Naomi wasn't her people. It was... Naomi only became her people when Ruth married Naomi's son. She wasn't her people to begin with. And Esther, royalty, like I said, that wasn't her people, but the Jews were her people. And when we look at Ruth 2, 1 and 2, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a great man of wealth of the family of Elimelech. I always mess these names up. His name was Boaz. So Ruth, a Moabitess, said to Naomi, please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whom sight I may find favor. And Naomi said to her, go, my daughter. So Naomi knew in order for her and excuse me, Ruth knew in order for her and Naomi to survive back in the day, if you were husbandless, because Naomi's husband had passed away as well. If you were husbandless, they considered you a widow and your next, the next man in line in your family that was wealthy enough would marry in or marry you in order to take care of you and your household. He would then put a covering over your household. So, when they found out that Boaz was in Naomi's line to be next to come to take over, that's when Ruth was like, well, let me go, let me go see him so that he could come and then he would want to take care of us. So now with Esther, Esther knew that 
she, at first she didn't know. That's one thing about Esther with hers. Ruth did hers more willingly because she knew what her circumstances were. So she wanted to take care of everything. Esther was more sitting on the sidelines. She was just following what Mordecai was telling her. And in Esther 4 to 7, in Esther 4, 7 to 9, we see how this all comes about. And Mordecai told him all that had happened to him and the sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries to destroy the Jews. He also gave a copy of a written decree for their destruction, which was given to was given at Shushan, that he might show it to Esther and explain to her and that he might command her to go into the king and make supplications to him and plead before him for her people. So there was this edict that was out that the one of the king's men had written that he wanted all the Jews killed because he felt Mordecai used to sit outside the king's gate. He felt that Mordecai should be paying homage to him because Mordecai is a Jew. So, you know, I'm royalty. I, I work with royalty, you know. Give me all my props. You know, much like in corporate America today, if you're in the mailroom and you see the vice president or the CEO, they feel that you should be giving them certain, you know, accolades when they walk into a room. Mordecai was like, I'm not doing it. The only one I give accolades to is my Lord God. Haman didn't like that. He put out an edict. He wanted all the Jews killed because he found out Mordecai was a Jew. Esther now had been picked to be the queen, was already in the palace. So Mordecai is sending word to her, Esther, you know, you got to get to the king. You got to tell him what's going on. You got to let him know that this man is doing this and he's trying to destroy your people. Esther, of course, as we'll see later as we go through, how she takes this. Now, this is how you know when God has given you an, a command and you're like, ooh, you know, you get that ooh feeling. I don't know if I want to do this, right? <laughs> Number four, you have a strong influencer working with you to guide you along your way. You need a voice to assist you in the mission because think about this. The picture is bigger than what you can see. Right. You could only see the picture is way bigger than where you're at. Esther just figured she was going to be queen and that was it. Mordecai just wanted her to be queen. Ruth just figured she was going to go and be with, you know, her mother-in-law because she needed to survive. The picture was bigger than that. And both of them had influencers behind them dictating what they needed to do next to complete their mission. Ruth, three, one to five. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? Now, Boaz, whose young women you were with, is not his relative. In fact, he is he is doing his barley tonight on the fleshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself and anoint yourself. Put on your best garment and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go in, uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. So Naomi was telling her what she needed to do to get Boaz's attention, because at that time, you don't just, you know, women didn't just walk up to men and just say, you know, hey, look, we don't have nobody to take care of us. Do you want to marry me? No, that's not the way they did it. So Naomi 
taught Ruth what she needed to do to get his attention. And at that time, you lay down at the feet of the man, you uncover his feet. That lets him know, oh, you want to be with him to be his wife. So so Ruth said, yes, I'm going to do it. So now Esther, Esther didn't know anything about what she should do to get to the king. She knew that she could only go before the king if he put out the scepter and asked her to come back to the rooms with him, even though, you know, in the palace. But Mordecai was reminding Esther the reason why she was there. And in Esther 4, 13 to 16, we see that Mordecai says to Esther, do you think in your heart that you will escape the king's palace any more than any other Jew? For if you remain completely silent at this time, Relief and deliverance will arise for for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews who are who are present in Shushan and fast for me, neither eat nor drink for three days, night or day. My maids and I will fast likewise, and I will go to the king, which is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So now, most of the time when we're about to do our mission, we only see the picture from our point of view. Esther only saw the picture that if I go before this king and he didn't call for me, he's going to kill me. She knew that she knew what Mordecai had sent to her saying that the Jews were in danger But yet she was still thinking, yeah, but if I go before this king and he didn't call me, he's going to kill me. So you need other people to see the bigger picture for you to give you a better understanding. Because most of the time, like they say, you can't see the forest for the trees. When you're in the forest down there with the trees, all you see are trees. But when you see when there's someone looking from a mountaintop, Not only do they see trees, but they see the entire forest. So they know exactly what's going on. Where when you're in the forest just walking through, you don't know that you could be walking towards a fire if you don't see smoke or whatever. But other people that are on the mountaintop can see. So that's why you need those people to be your eyes and ears. Because when you're in the mission doing the work, a lot of times you don't see the greater picture that's involved with it. You have to prepare for the mission. You have to have discernment. Esther was setting the stage for the king in order to complete her mission. She had to use her beauty. She had to use her charm to get the king to ask her to come into the court in order for her to put the mission forward and where she can save the Jews. Just as Ruth had to wait for the right time to lay at the feet of Boaz. All the time when she was gleaning in his field, he saw her, but she never spoke to him. It wasn't for her to talk to him or approach him. She needed to wait for the right time. She was preparing the mission, letting him see her, let him see her, how she was, what she did, what type of woman she was. Just as with Esther, she stayed, you know, doing her little queenly duties with her maids, not going before the king unless he summoned her and he had never summoned her before. Six, when you learn, you will learn to adapt to your environment. Although you're not used to, you're not going to be used to where you're about to go, you'll learn to adapt. Esther had to learn the ways of being in royalty 
living in the palace, just as Ruth had to learn the ways of how you caught a man of wealth when you want him to marry you and take care of your family. You also need to dress for the occasion. Now, Esther couldn't go into the king's court unless she was adorned with her finest clothing, waiting in the courtyard for him to gaze upon her. So she took her baths with her salts and her oils and got all dolled up in her queenly attire. And then she just walked up and down the courtyard. Because remember, Esther was beautiful. She was beautiful to begin with. That's why he picked her out of all the women that came in that pageant to be picked. So Esther was walking up and down to get his attention. And when he saw her, he placed out the scepter and told her to come into the palace, into where he was. Naomi had to tell Ruth how to dress. Naomi had to tell Ruth, you know, take a bath, adorn yourself with oils, get sweet, put your dress on, go to Boaz, lay at the bottom of his feet. But don't do it until after he's eaten and drink and drank for the night. You don't disturb a man before he's had his his food. That's when, you know, once he's satisfied with his food and everything else, then you can go in and present yourself to him. Point number eight, when God uses you, he's always looking for the greater good and not individual blessings. Now, you know, I've always likened myself to be like the prophet Jonah, right? He was given a message. He had to go to Nineveh, save, you know, save the people, tell the people, this is what I'm going to do. If they don't do it in three days, this is what's going to happen to them. That's what the Lord told him. But he didn't want to. And he didn't want to do it. And he went the opposite direction. So God had to show him through a series of uncomfortable situations, one being being snatched up in the belly of the whale. My headset keeps falling off. I don't know why this thing keeps falling off. I'm sorry if it's distracting with noise. He was thrown overboard when he decided to go to another place and God had to swallow him up in the belly of a whale in order to teach him, you're going to do what I tell you to do. So that's one thing you're going to know. When when God has a mission for you and you decide not to do it, once he's already told you what the mission is, you're going to be uncomfortable. And I raise my hand. I know what that's like. That's why I can easily say, yeah, I know what Jonah was feeling like, because he will make you uncomfortable until you finally turn around and do what it is that he wants you to do. But in all that, in all that that I just told you, knowing your mission and knowing how to spot what your mission is with the different points that I gave you, love God, the mission will take you to uncharted places, be willing to do what it takes for your people. Have strong influencers working with you to guide you. Prepare for the mission. Be ready to do what it is you have to do. Learn to adapt to your environment. Learn how to dress for the occasion and understand that God is looking for the greater good, not just your individual blessing. So it might make you feel a bit uncomfortable until he gets what he wants done. Remember, Both Ruth and Esther were unaware of what they were getting themselves into when they decided to do what God placed in their hearts. And just like them, we have to get ready because we don't know what God is going to look for us to do in our mission, right? 
So when you decide to do what God has placed in your spirit, although it's new, know that it's chartered and planned for a greater good. And I'll end it with this. I used to say, if you call me, Lord, I'll go. I now say, when you call me, Lord, I will go. And with that, I think it's time for a music break. And you have been listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn, what Brooklyn sounds like. Everybody's telling me it's done. Feeling like I'm about to throw in the towel. Face the fight or turn away and run. Then I remembered that you are always for me. If you've said it once, I've heard it twice. I can always trust you with my life. With eyes of faith, I still believe yeah, that it's not over till you say. Your purpose for me will come to pass Lord, you have perfectly orchestrated Such a wonderful plan for me So why should I doubt you now? You've shown me from time that If you said it once Then I've heard it twice I can always trust you with my life With eyes of faith It's not over till you say so, say so, till you say so, it's not finished till you
sempre Tudo pertence a ti Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. You are listening to What Would Kay Say here on Radio Free Brooklyn. It is now time for the part of the show that I call Op-Ed. Now, as usual, the news never leaves me without tons of stories to talk about in Op-Ed. But there's only two that really made the top five on my list this week. Like I said, there's a ton of other ones, but I can hold them to later because they're going to be ongoing stories forever. Just like these ongoing stories as well. But those aren't as important at these as these two. The first one I want to talk about is freedom, although it has the word free in it, cost. It costs, okay? When people say, oh, I just want to be free. I just want to do whatever I want. Trust and believe that freedom has a price. And from what I learned this week, the United States has paid $1 billion, $1 billion of aid to the Ukraine to help them ensure their freedom from Russia and Putin's invasion. $1 billion. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand the people over there. They're suffering. I understand. It's probably horrible, the conditions that they're going through. I understand all that. But the United States is always complaining about not having money. They can't fund this for their people. They can't fund that for their people. There's no money for gas. Our prices had to go up, although Biden made them come back down with them. But every time you turn around, the United States government, oh, we have to have a emergency meeting so we can sign a bill to let the people that work in the government get their pay so they don't have to be furloughed and all this. But, oops, excuse me. But we have $1 billion to send to the Ukraine. I just want you to think about that. See, governments prioritize what they feel is more important to them. And like I said, I feel bad for those people. They're going through it. Yes, they're catching it. But so are we here at home. And you could muster up a billion dollars in a week. But yet it takes forever for 
a bill to be passed to look how much trouble they went through with the infrastructure bill. Now, we're talking about bridges that we ride over every day that could just crumble underneath us. But if they had to fight back and forth, you're going to spend all that money for that, for that bridge, for that city, for that set of people, for that, that, that. Everything is for that, for that, for that. One billion dollars. I'm just saying. Moving on from that. Now, this was most important to me. And it's most important to me because it mostly affects me. And I guess. Even though I taught you earlier that when God has a plan, it's not just for your personal blessing. It's for the greater good. But in this one, it will affect me personally because of what they're trying to do. And I'm going to explain to you. The Senate is now being given a bill so that they can pass where the black people should have the ability to wear their hair as it grows out of their head. And I just want that to sink into your, into your mental for a minute. Think about it. Someone has to pass a bill to put it into law so that the hair that grows out of your head naturally is not considered to be against the law. Are you following me here? The House on Friday passed the Crown Act, which would ban hair-related discrimination. Now, H.R. 2116 passed in a vote of 235 to 189 along party lines that would ban this hair-related discrimination. And it was introduced to the floor by Representative Bonnie Watson Coleman. She's a Democrat from New Jersey. Now, CROWN stands for Creating a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair. And the act prohibits discrimination based on an individual's texture or style of hair. Now, the House passed it, but it was 235 to 189. So there was, keep in mind, 130, 189 representatives in the House that felt that this should not be should not be put on the books. Now, the bill is set to go before the Senate. We could only we could only imagine how they're going to vote. Right. But let me go further into this so that you understand exactly what's at stake here and why it's so personal to me. The legislation states that routinely people of African descent are deprived of educational and employment opportunities for wearing hair, for wearing their hair in natural or protective styles such as locks, cornrows, twists, braids, bantu knots, or afros. Who is discriminated against, you ask? Children in schools, adults who are trying to get jobs, individuals who are trying to get housing, 
individuals who simply want access to public accommodations. This demonstrates the bill's necessity, Coleman stated, because there are people in positions of authority who think because your hair is kinky, braided, or in a bantu knot, or just strictly because it's not straight, blonde, or light brown, that you somehow are not worthy of access to all the things that I mentioned above. Housing, schooling, employment. Now, a representative, Jim Jordan, a Republican from Ohio, he was accused of saying that he was accused of avoiding a conversation about discrimination that disproportionately affected black people. Jordan said on Friday that he wanted to focus more on gas prices, inflation, and the issues of importance, get this, to the American people. And he accused the Democrats of distracting from those issues. Now, when I, when I hear that, first of all, are you saying that black people are not Americans and that Issues that pertain to us aren't as important as gas prices and inflation because gas prices and inflation that affects us as well. But can you imagine how much more gas prices and inflation is going to affect us if I am now not able to go to school to learn so that I can better myself because my hair grows naturally kinky out of my head, or if I'm not allowed to take this job because I can't be in an office because the way my hair grows out of my head offends you because it's not straight, or I can't go into DMV because, oh, your your hair is kinky, so we don't allow those type of people to stand online and take care of their motor vehicle issues. So if I can't do all the regular things that normal people do in their everyday life, don't you think that gas prices and inflation is going to weigh even more on me? But yet you make it sound as though, well, we're just trying to deal with everything that affects the American people. But because it only affects black people when it comes to the way their hair grows out of their head, that's not really important to what's going on right now in America. Hair discrimination is rooted in systemic racism and its purpose is to preserve white spaces. That's what the NAACP said. And most black women, 80% or more were feel more pressure to change their hairstyles in order to fit into an office. And I can attest to that because I used to have locks until I cut them. Now, in the beginning, when I first started working, I used to have a perm. I used to keep it curly, bobbed, whatever, yada, yada. Then I decided to do locks. You know, I was like, oh, let me do my natural hair. But in my natural hair, everyone who has natural hair, being of African descent, you know the traumas that you have dealing with your hair. And it's not just black people. Dominicans have the problem, too. 
That's why. Why do you think they're always doing a blowout? Anybody who has hair that grows out of their hair that is towards the kinky side understands what's going on when it comes to this bill. So when you say black people are the most affected by it, and when they say black, they're more so looking at skin color black. But let me tell you, with a lot of these mixed people walking around, and I have nothing against people that are mixed or multiracial as they call themselves, their hair is growing kinky now too. Their hair is just as kinky curly as the next one. So it's not only going to be dark-skinned people of color that you're going to be discriminating against because when someone who's a light caramel walks in and has kinky hair, what are you going to do? I mean, kinky hair is kinky hair. I mean, hair is hair. That's what the, see, that's what the whole essence of the bill. It doesn't matter what the skin color is underneath this, you know, once you get past the scalp and you come down and you see the actual individual, the you're holding someone back because of their hair and they used to do it because it was only dark skinned people that had the kinky hair. But it's not only dark-skinned people anymore that have kinky hair. So we're going to see what the Senate does with this bill. We're going to see what they say when it comes time for them to vote on it. And that's why I say it was personal to me, because when I used to wear locks and I had it in the office, and of course, when we wear braids, when we wear our locks, we keep our hair neat. We It's it's nicely quaffed. When you walk in, we look beautiful. We look beautiful because we're beautiful anyway. But our hair, yes, it projects our beauty even more. And I used to get the weirdest questions about my hair. And I used to always ask, why are you so obsessed with my hair? And they would just look at me and I would just look at them because I'm like, You don't never hear me ask you a question about anything that's growing out of your hair. You come in with your blonde, whatever, updo tease, whatever. I didn't ask you anything about your hair, the way it grows. Who cares? That's your hair on your head. Anyone naturally that knows human beings, everyone has hair that grows out of their head, unless they have a hair problem and their hair doesn't grow. But that's another story. Either way, everyone's going to have hair on their head. And it's either going to be straight or it's going to be kinky. It's going to be curly. It's going to be different textures. What difference does it make? What difference does it make? But I pray that the bill passes in the Senate and it doesn't take another 200 additional bills to go to the floor as did the lynching bill. Do you know that the lynching bill was just passed this year in February? And how fitting that it passed in Black History Month. But for the longest, they could not get lynching to be put on the books as a hate crime because Republicans felt that it should not be put up there with, air quote, hate crimes. Well, what do you think lynching is? You don't think a lynching is a hate crime? So I hope that this bill going to the Senate now for, oh, for me to... To allow me to walk around like God created me 
and to look the way God created me. I hope that you guys could, you know, finally come to an agreement that, yeah, it's okay. It's okay for you to look like God created you to be. Isn't that something? We have to have people pass laws to tell us that it's okay for us to look the way God created us. But yet we have a $1 billion to send to the Ukraine. <laughs> and that is the end of op-ed. Word of the month, acuity. Don't forget, keenness and sharpness, right? Word of the month, acuity. Promise for the week, Romans 6.14. For sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. And with that, I say, everyone have a beautiful, beautiful first day of spring. I think it's the equinox, right? Where we have equal sun and equal night or something like that. I have to look that up. But everyone have a happy spring first day. We're going to get rain later on here in the Northeast, but it's still beautiful right now. Sun is shining, beaming. They're having a half marathon today. It started in Brooklyn earlier. They had started running when I was on my way to the studio. So that's come back since COVID. Everything's coming back little by little since COVID. You know, we're opening up. People are getting more back into what we normally used to do. Like I said, once again, woohoo, St. Peter's University on your move up the brackets to the Sweet 16. Anything else that's going on? Let me think. I don't think there's anything else. I just want everybody to have a blessed Sunday. Stay safe. Wear your mask. Wash your hands. Social distance. Take care of one another. Be there for one another in all things. And until God brings us together again next week, peace. Somehow Blue as the sky Somehow
Stronger. 